Good morning, beloved friends. I am glad to be here with you. My name is Vito, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we get to look at the scriptures together. Specifically, we've been looking at the miracles of Jesus, and you know, of all the miracles that Jesus did, there are only two that are recorded in all the Gospels, only two. The first is the resurrection of Jesus. That's in all four Gospels. But then the second is the feeding of the multitude by Jesus with just a few loaves and fishes. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them decide to include that story. And I think what that must mean for us is that there's something essential, something critical that that story will tell us about the character of Jesus, his spirit. And it's something that will not just help us to know about what Jesus did a long time ago. There's also something in this story which is going to help us to understand and know Jesus today to know his presence and power in our lives now. So if that's going to be promised to us in the story, let's get right to it. We're going to look at the Gospel of Mark. If you're looking along in your Bibles, it's Mark chapter 6. It'll be coming up here before us, but Mark chapter 6, verses 30 and following. The apostles returned to Jesus. And told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. The story begins with the apostles returning from doing ministry. Jesus had sent them out for the first time. He'd empowered them to preach the gospel and to heal the sick. And to comfort the lonely and to help the helpless. And now they've returned and they're really excited because they've discovered what anybody discovers when they serve Jesus, when they trust him and put their faith in him. When you trust Jesus and you put your faith in him, his power goes with you. You're able to do things that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. So they're very excited. They have obeyed the command of Jesus to serve him. And now when they return, Jesus gives them another command. And it's just as important as the first And that second command is you have to come back and you have to rest. The first command he gives is you should go out and serve me and be my ambassador in the world. The second command, though, that he gives is when you come back, you should rest in me. And I think what this is telling us is that anybody who is called to serve Jesus, and that is all of us, each one of us have unique gifts to serve in the world, to care for others. We also need to be cared for. We need to hear, like these apostles heard, come away a bit and rest. And Jesus is telling us this here because we need to hear it. We need to know that in order for us to fulfill the calling that each one of us has, we need this power. And Mark puts a really fine point on it. There's something in the story that I've studied this for years and years. I never saw it until this week. Take a look at what Mark says. He says at the very end, the apostles had no leisure even to eat. Did you notice that? Even in this story, which is about Jesus feeding hungry people, it's about the apostles being empowered by Jesus to feed hungry people. It begins with the apostles being hungry themselves. They aren't able to eat. In order to feed hungry people, you have to be fed yourself. In order to provide good news to other people, you need to hear good news yourself. You need to be taken care of by Jesus. You need to hear this call 
that just as important as the command is to serve him, so is the command to rest him and just be with him. Not to do things for him, but to be with him. And I want to speak very specifically today. I want to speak to the people who work here at Renaissance Church, the pastors and the staff people and the elders. I want to say to you, you are called to work for Jesus, but your calling is just as much to rest in Jesus. I want to speak to those of you who care for the young people in this church, for those of you who work with middle school students and the high school students, all the way back to a person right now who is rocking a baby and balancing him on their knee right now. If you're going to take care of the children of the church, you need to realize that you're a child, that you need to be cared for by Jesus. For those of you who are group leaders, you open up your hearts and your homes to people you need to be received in by Jesus to know that he is knocking at the door. He will come, wants to come in and make his home with you. For those of you who are part of Ren Cares, who are out in the world seeking to be the feet and the hands of Jesus, caring for others, you need to be cared for by Jesus. My welcome team people, those of you who are doing the good work of welcoming people in, ushers and greeters and in the cafe, we're very glad that you take care of us in that way. Amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you need to be fed too. This goes for everybody. I'm sure I've left some people out, but I'm meaning to address all of us. And I really am addressing all of us because each one of us is called to be a servant of Jesus, but you're also called to rest in him, to take time in your schedule just to be with him, his word and his spirit. And I suspect that some of you, I know some of you are thinking right now, oh, oh shoot, that's something I have to add too. Okay, I'm gonna, I've gotta do that. You feel guilty, you're saying I should do that. But don't, let's not should on each other. Let's not do that. The shoulds are something we're gonna leave aside. Because if rest in Jesus is truly rest, then it's going to be rest. It's not something you have to work at. It's something you have to receive, his care for you and his love for you because there are not two different classes of people in the church, the full and the hungry, the givers and the receivers, the helpful and the helpless. That's not going on in the church. There's only one class of people in the church and it's sheep, sheep who need a shepherd. And we learn this from Jesus. That's exactly what he says here as the story goes on. Listen, now many saw them coming and going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Jesus is trying to bring them away to a retreat. And the people that they're serving get there ahead of them. Does that ever happen to you? You set time aside to rest a little bit and your problems get there before you do? I don't know what to tell you about that. When he went to shore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looks at this group of people, the apostles, and the hungry people, and those that need to be healed, and those that are curious. He looks at this big crowd, and he sees what they are, they're sheep. And the good news for those people there, and the good news for all of us right now, is that Jesus is a shepherd, and he's a very, very good shepherd too. Jesus is a good shepherd who knows the names of his sheep. It is a good thing to be known, to know your, somebody knows your name. And it kind of feels awful when somebody doesn't know your name. I got an email this week and it said, Dear Ayudo, we count you as a trusted and personal friend of our company. <laughs> well, if I'm such a trusted and personal friend, you would think that they would have got my name right. But Jesus knows your name. 
Psalm 56 says, God, you know all of my sorrows. You keep all of my tears in your bottle. You have recorded every single one of them. Jesus not only knows your name, he knows the names of each one of your tears. He knows your stories and he cares for you because he's a good shepherd who knows the name of his sheep. Jesus is a good shepherd who provides for his people all that they need. He feeds his people. Psalm 23 says that he leads us to green pastures and besides still waters. That means everything that you need in your life, the food that you eat, that comes from his hand. He's a good shepherd. The clothes on your back right now, your home, that comes to him. He's a good shepherd. He provides for you. Jesus is a good shepherd that feeds a sheep. Jesus is a good shepherd who looks for the lost sheep. Those who are lost, Jesus goes to look for them. You might relate to that man who got towards the end of his life and he looked back on all those who he had lost and he thought to himself, you know, maybe having a career as a tour guide just wasn't for me. That's not Jesus. He's not in the business of losing people. Jesus is in the business of finding people. He finds those who are lost. You know, he finds those who are lost, who get lost just because of the difficulties and distractions of life. He also finds those who are lost who have tried to get themselves lost. And his intention and his ministry and mission and what he will bring to completion is that he will find every one of his lost sheep and bring them home. Jesus is a very good shepherd. Let's keep going now. What we see next in this story is the apostles give us an example of something that we should do. There are two things here that the apostles do. The first is what we, they should do, we should do. And then we see something that we shouldn't do. But let's get first to what they show us that we should do as disciples. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Here's a way in which the apostles are our teachers. This is something that we should do. The apostles have a problem, and so they tell Jesus about it. The apostles see something that they cannot take care of on their own. There's a crowd, an enormous crowd, probably something like 15 to 20,000 people. The text says 5,000 men. You add the women and the children, it's anywhere between 15 and 20,000 people. There's not enough food to feed them all. They have a problem that they can't fix on their own. And so what do they do? They tell Jesus about it. Really what they're doing is they are praying. They've come to the end of their own resources so they go to Jesus. This is something that you and I should do too. We should take the problems in our life. I cannot deal with this. I can't fix this. I don't have enough to take care of this and to tell Jesus about it. It's a really natural thing to do, to wanna to talk about your problems, talk about the things that you can't handle. And it's a good thing to do to talk to a close friend or anybody that you might know, to talk to a person about your problems. It's a good way to not feel as alone. And it's a good way to maybe find people that might be in your life that God has put there to help you. But sometimes I think what we do, and this is certainly true of me, is we talk to every single person in our life about our problems and our perplexities except Jesus. We talk to every single person about our situation except the one who can help us. We talk to this person and that person and this person, and we can sometimes take it too far. We should bring our problems to Jesus to the one who can really help us. 
That's what that hymn says. What a friend we have in Jesus. I was listening to Aretha Franklin this morning sing that. You ever heard her sing that? Oof. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. She does it a little bit better than I just did it. <laughs> you should listen to her later on. So the apostles are getting it right. They're taking it to the one who can help them. Now, that's what you and I should do too. Take your problems to God in prayer. Take them to Jesus. Now, this next thing we see is Jesus doesn't always reply exactly as we wish that he would. This is Jesus' response, at least his first response to their prayer. Look it. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. <laughs> and the way that I just pronounce it there. It's kind of contained in the Greek because the emphasis is on that word you. Anything that usually shows up at the beginning of a sentence in Greek, the emphasis is there. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And he's not doing that because he doesn't care about the problem. Of course, we know he does. And in fact, we know, we've all been to Sunday school, we've heard this story before, he's going to feed that crowd. Why does Jesus say, you feed them, you give them something to eat? And he's doing that to show us that he wants to work with what we have to answer the prayers that we give him. He wants us to participate in answering the prayers that we give to him, to be a part of the solution to the problem that what, of what we have. Jesus is saying, I'm not just going to do this all by myself. I want to use you too. Jesus is gonna do all the heavy lifting. He's gonna do the miracle working. He's gonna do the impossible doing. But Jesus wants us to be involved in our own prayers, to be a part of an answer to the problem. Now, I'm gonna point out something that's really obvious, but I want you to bear with me. I think this is important. I want us to look at the nature of the problem that the apostles bring to Jesus. The nature of the problem is that it's a physical problem. There are people who don't have enough food to eat. And it can be easy to over-spiritualize this text and say, well, this is just about people who need spiritual food to eat. That's true. Jesus here, did you notice, he's teaching them. He's caring for them, but he's also feeding them physically. He's preaching and teaching, but he's also feeding physically. And it's showing us here that there's something that's together that we can't pull apart. Renaissance Church, I wanna tell you that one of the interesting things about being a pastor is telling people that you are a pastor. When you are on a plane or at a party and it comes time in the conversation where somebody says, what do you do for a living? When you have to do like I do, which is to say I am a pastor, things get very interesting. <laughs> now it goes in all kinds of interesting directions. However, I will tell you one of the interesting directions it goes. People will ask me, what kind of pastor are you? And they don't mean, well, are you the kind that preaches? Are you the kind that does more teaching? Are you the kind that does a lot of counseling or kind of administration? What they're usually asking, the people that I meet is, are you a pastor who cares more about social justice and feeding people and addressing physical needs? Or are you a pastor who preaches the Bible and talks about salvation and cares about spiritual needs? They wanna put me in one of those two camps they want to put us in one of those two camps as Christians. But if you read this story in which all four gospel writers say, this is an important miracle, take a look at this. 
Jesus has those so intertwined that you could never pull them apart. He's feeding people physically, people who are hungry, people who do not have enough, and he's also preaching and teaching to them the salvation which is going to carry them into eternity. And we should not pull them apart. What God has joined together, let no man pull us under. In Renaissance Church, I want us to be a church, not that you can put in a box. Oh, this is a social justice church. They feed the poor. They care for those without enough resources. They provide water for those who don't have enough. Oh, no, no, no. They're a, they're a church that, that focuses on prayer and giving yourself to Jesus and, re, and leading a, a righteous and moral life and, and giving yourself in faith to Jesus. No, I want us to be a church that does all those things, that follows a whole Jesus. Because this is the Jesus that's in the scriptures. You and I are called to follow Jesus in the comprehensiveness of his salvation. We need it all. And we want to participate in the kingdom, which is comprehensive. Let's keep going. They said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? Denarii is a, a form of a monetary um, coinage. Denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat. And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. I said before that there's one way you should imitate the apostles. Go to Jesus with your problems. Tell them what you need. Here's the place where you shouldn't imitate the apostles. Because did you notice they are focusing and fixating on what? Their problem. They're focusing and fixating on what they do not have. In fact, they focused on that so much, they have no idea what they do have. Did you see this? They say, Jesus, we've got a terrible problem. We don't have enough. And Jesus says, how much do you have? And they said, we don't know. He says, go and see how much you have. And they said, well, we do have a few loaves and a few fishes. They don't know what they have until Jesus tells them to go look. They're so focused on what they don't have. And right now, I think I'm mostly preaching to myself. I don't know if you're anything like me, but oftentimes I can focus on the things that I do not have. Ah, I could be happy if this part of my finances were different. I could be happy if this part of my personal life was a little adjusted. I could be happy if, if I had this, but I don't have this and I don't have this. What do you have? And Jesus is giving them and us an opportunity to look, what do you have? I'm calling you to follow me. I'm calling you to live in the light of my love. I'm calling you to receive my love and then to give it back out into the world. I'm calling you to feed those who are physically hungry. And you might say, I don't have enough. What do you have? I'm calling you to proclaim good news to people who are hungry spiritually. I don't have enough, I can't. What do you have? Well, I have a lot of fear. Jesus says, okay, I can work with that. I have a little bit. I have a little bit of faith. I can work with that. What do you have? Do you spend time focusing on all the things that you don't have, that you wish were different? Do you spend a lot of time focusing on the problem that's out in front of you, this problem that's very, very scary? You can imagine that it'd be pretty scary for the apostles. There are 15 or 20,000 people there who are very hungry. That could turn unruly pretty fast. They're very nervous about this. And Jesus says, what do you have? They said, we have five loaves and two fish. And here's the point where we should have said, hallelujah, we have a lot. Because another thing that they've neglected to see is that they're there with Jesus. Jesus is the one who can make these things bigger and stronger than they really are. Did you notice that Jesus here is using 
what the apostles give him, he doesn't have to do that. He could do this miracle ex nihilo. I've been wanting to say that word for 20 years, ever since I graduated from seminary. Ex nihilo, that's a Latin word, and it means out of nothing. Jesus could create from nothing. He's done it before. Go back and read your Bibles, first couple pages of Genesis. He speaks everything into existence. First chapter of John, he speaks and the worlds come to be. And he could do the same thing here. The apostles could come to him and say, we don't have enough. And he could say, no problem. I'm going to speak bread into existence. I'm going to create out of nothing fish, which is going to feed a multitude. He doesn't do that. He said, I'd like to use what you have. What do you have? So God is not going to minister in Springfield, in Union County, in Summit, in the places that you live. He's not going to minister ex nihilo. He's not going to use nothing. He's going to use what you have. What do you have? What do you have? Do you have a home? Do you have a heart? Do you have a little bit of faith? Do you have humility? Do you have your own insecurities that you can bring before God? He'll use anything. He takes a couple of loaves and fishes and feeds 20,000 people. There's a part that I'm not going to read here later on. There are 12 baskets left over. Our God is so abundant that he takes the little that you don't think is enough and he makes it so much more than enough. So don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do have and give it over to Jesus. He wants to use the small amount that you have. And then he takes it, geez, this is taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. Friends, we could... We could preach for a month just on these two verses. There is so much here, but we'll make it short. I just want to show you two things in these two verses that will finish us. There's a miracle that happened back then that you can see here, and there's a miracle that's going to happen today. A miracle that happened back then and a miracle that's going to happen today, and it all can be found in one of these verses. It's where Jesus, it says, he blessed the bread. Do you see it there? He blessed, he broke, and he gave. Jesus blessed and he broke and he gave. He took the bread and he blessed it. He thanked God for it. He broke it and then he gave it. And that's the foundation of the miracle that he's doing here. And those three words are a clue. They're a clue that Mark wants us to see. And it's not a clue like you've got to go look for it. It's a clue as bright as a lighthouse at night. Because these three words, bless, break, and give, are the very same words that Jesus is going to say on the last night of his life. When he's having supper with his friends, the last supper, he takes the bread and Mark wants us to know this is the very same thing going on. He uses the same order, the same words. Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. He blesses and then he breaks it and then he gives it to his disciples. And he says, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. And Mark wants us to notice that these two things that are going on in the same way, he wants us to notice that to show us that the power that feeds that multitude is the same power that feeds people in eternity. It's the same power that's feeding you and I even today. That the body of Jesus, which is given for us, broken, is what makes us whole. And that can be true and is true for every single person here. Do you ever think about a loaf of bread? You see a loaf of bread there on the counter, you're hungry. And in order for you to be fed, what happens to that bread? What has to happen to it? 
It has to be broken. If that loaf of bread stays whole, that means you can't have it. And that means that you'll go hungry. It means that you'll be broken. But in order for you to be full, in order for you to be whole, that bread needs to be broken and it needs to be given over to you. And Jesus is saying here that his body is what's going to be broken for you on the cross. The same way that that crowd was fed, the same way that you and I are fed by the body and power and presence and love of Jesus comes because he was willing to have his body broken for you. Did you know that's true for every single one of you here? That his body was broken for you, that he was showing us all the way back then, that he was showing us at the Last Supper, that he's showing you even right now, his body was broken for you so that you could be whole. And all that you have to do is receive a gift is just to take it. To take it like those very same people that were hungry that day, it's the same way that you and I should take it. And this takes us not only to the miracle that took place back then, it's the miracle that's going to take place today. Because almost anytime anybody celebrates the Lord's Supper, they use those same words. Bless, break, and give. Christian is going to come out in just a few moments, and he's going to say those same words. And when he does that, and that bread and that wine is distributed the power of that miracle is just as great as what took place thousands of years ago. Now, I think some of you might believe that, but I think some of you are saying, yeah, that's what preachers do. They say, it's the same thing. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that we're gonna have a little piece of bread and wine, and that's just as powerful as what took place a long time ago. No, it's not. That was feeding a whole bunch of people. That's a different kind of miracle. Maybe. I want you to think again about that crowd, that big crowd, 15 or 20,000 people. That's about as many people who would fit in a small football stadium. It's as many people that if you put them in a park, you wouldn't be able to see from one side of the crowd to the other. You wouldn't. And so all those people that came there, you know, they came to see Jesus. I think very few of them really saw Jesus physically. I think many of them, he would have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of yards away. Wouldn't have been able to see Jesus, but they showed up and they got there and all of a sudden the disciples started handing bread back. It said that they were divided up into groups of fifties and hundreds and the disciples started to put bread into their hands and they began to eat and they were full and they were fed. Did they see Jesus do the miracle? Not most of them. Did they know that what was going on was the power and presence of Jesus? Maybe not. You can guess that maybe some of the people ran from the front and ran all the way back to the people with the bread in their hands and said, hey, that bread, it's, it's a miracle. And said, so, well, it's okay. I mean, it's, it's all right. I mean, my mom makes better bread than this, but it's okay. I, I'm grateful for it. No, 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 it's a miracle. Jesus made it miraculously for you. Really? All right. But they didn't see. I think some of them were probably skeptical. And it might be the same with you as you come forward. You're gonna come forward and a very ordinary person is gonna hand you bread and give you a little bit of wine or juice and you'll take it. And you'll say, was that a miracle? Uh, I don't know, I'm kind of skeptical. And you might not be able to see Jesus physically, but he's here. And he is giving us this bread and this wine to feed us, to help us to know that his love for us is abundant, that it's a miracle that we get to be in his presence and his broken body means life for us. His blood poured out for us means forgiveness for us. His spirit given to each one of you right now means empowerment for you so that you can follow him. Dear friends, please do that. 
Please follow after this one who is willing to be broken for you. Please follow after this one who wants to feed you. Please rest in this one who says to you, you are my son, you are my daughter, you're my beloved. Would you do that? Would you do that even right now? Some of you may maybe have done that in your life. You've given yourselves over to Jesus. Do it again. Receive him again, knowing that he's the one that feeds you. Maybe you've never done that. Would you do that now? And receive a gift that is beyond compared to any other gift you could receive, his feeding of you. You need that. You need it today and you need it in eternity. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Dear God, we do need you. We need you today. We need you tomorrow. We need you every hour. So help us to see our hunger in you, to be fed by you. Help us. We are sheep without a shepherd, without you, but you are our good shepherd. So help us to see you in all of your glory and in all of your generosity. Lord Jesus, I give you thanks that you're a shepherd who lays down your life for the sheep. That you go out and find the ones who are lost. Some of us feel lost. Would you come and find us? We know that you are. Help us to see you. Some of us feel hungry. Help us to know that we're being fed by you. Some of us feel dead inside. Help us to know the life that you give us because you've laid down your life for us. Each one of us, Lord Jesus, come here and we need to be spoken to in a special way. I try to do that, but it can only happen if you do it. If you take my words and you make them alive in each one of us, including me. So speak to us by the presence of your spirit. Only you can do that. Speak to each person here, each person online or listening in any way. We want not just to think about what you did a long time ago. We want to be fed by you today so that we can follow you as your sheep, so that we can participate in the work of your kingdom. Would you please do that for us, for this church, and for the world, for your glory? We pray these things not in our own strength, but in the strength of your name. And all of God's people said, amen.